You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Hey, I'm so glad to see you here. And again, I'm so appreciative of your persistence to find a parking spot and to find a seat today. That is immensely appreciated. We actually had, but we sent out an email asking folks to slide over to the first service today. We had about 75 people more in the first service than we normally do. And if you look around, I'm glad those 75 made the move to the first service today. Amen. But today we're continuing on in a series that I started the last Sunday of 2023. And, uh, and I had Pastor Lisa share the message last week regarding this. It's called Intentional Faith, and we are looking at the Gospel of Matthew, a particular passage that Jesus taught, and he was really just letting us see the intentionality that is required for us as it relates to our faith. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand for the reading of the Word, if you would, again. And we're going to read that passage again, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 35. Let's everybody begin. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to study, to learn your word. And I pray that our minds would not just be filled with academic information. I pray that our hearts would be penetrated by your word, that we would see the values that guide our lives and what needs to change. Help us, God, I pray, to grow, develop in the journey that we are on with you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So as I said, we began this series a couple weeks ago. And we're continuing on in this passage, and there's a, I know if you're new today, there's a certain segment, you're thinking, wow, I wonder if he's going to share on that. We're actually jumping down a little further into that passage because I've already preached it. So if you want to know what I said about the father-mother passage there, you're going to have to go online, listen to it. I can't rehearse that whole segment again. 
But we're going to be looking at another piece of this uh, passage today. And one of the dynamics that I, I'm using is the fact that we just started a new year. And I know it's already the second Sunday of the month and that, but still, January has a way of kind of getting us to pause and to reflect on some things. And that's the intent of this intentional faith series that we're doing. You see, a failure to pause, reflect, and what I call recalibrate can lead to a powerless existence. Many people find themselves on a treadmill of life and they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. They don't even know where they're going. They don't know what needs to change. They're just doing it. And they finally come to the conclusion sometimes, where am I going and how am I getting there? And as you look at this, well, you can't learn from your mistakes if you keep ignoring and denying them. There's a time to sit down and go, what am I doing wrong? How am I contributing to it? And what do I need to do to change this thing? How do I get a different momentum? Maybe the momentum that you had last year was not positive. What do I need to do to change that momentum? But on the other side of that, you can, in the same manner, you can't build on your successes if you, don't, if you can't define success or don't know what produced them. Maybe you had a good year. That's great. Do you know what caused it? Do you know to what degree that you influenced it? Do you know what you need to do to keep those things going in your life? So I say there's this pause time to go, hey, I need to reflect on the pace that I live in life, why I'm doing what I'm doing, how I'm getting there. And here's the thing, what do I, what's the outcome that I'm shooting for? I don't wanna be, quote, lucky in my outcomes. I wanna know what my outcomes are and that they happen because I invested my life in the right arenas. So one of the things I'm gonna share with you this morning, I had it last, or last uh, two weeks ago, I didn't have time, so I put it in today's message. One of the things I do is I have a series of four questions that I work through in my own life. And I'm just gonna share with you what those are. Is that all right with everybody? Okay, and no, I'm not gonna tell you what my answers are. You work your own answers on this. So as, you're, as, as you reflect on, when you hit that pause, what are some good questions? Because I can tell you this, the questions determine the kind of answers that you get. In other words, let's make sure you're asking the right questions so you get the right input. So here are the questions that I ask myself. What is the more, most important lesson you learned this past year? So I would tell you that. What is it? What did you learn? You say, well, I don't know. That's bad. You mean you lived 12 months and didn't learn a thing. <laughs> See what I'm saying? What did you learn? this past year. Another question to ask yourself is, why did the past, what did the past year reveal about your core values? Listen, everybody makes proclamations. Everybody knows the right thing to say when you're asked a question. Everybody knows what they're supposed to say so they don't sound like, you know, they have no morals and values. So everybody will say it. What I want to know is, based on how you lived, what did the values say you have? Ooh. You see, we all can have the ability to live a life that's not reflective of the values that we would like to have. We can say, I want to be this, but somehow in our daily decisions and choices, we're not revealing those core values. So my question is, how you lived your life this past 12 months, what's the core values that were revealed by it? You know, sometimes you can feel good about that, and sometimes you go, man, I got a lot of progress. I need, to make some, I need to make some difficult choices and changes in my life because my life did not reflect what I want it to be. Another question to ask yourself is this. What advice would Jesus give you about your last year's self? How many know on that one you go, oh God, help me. 
Now, what would Jesus say about your last year self? Yeah, you know, I actually think most of us would have an answer within 10 seconds. We, are, we hear God more than we think we do. It's just that we'll make sure that we don't hit the pause button and that we fill up the silence with our voice because if I'm talking, I'm not listening. But thinking a minute, wow, what, what would he say about my life? And then the last question is this. How would you fill in the blank if you were having coffee with Jesus and he said, this year I wish you would... You know what? I find most people are going to answer that within 10 seconds. They know. They just have never quieted themselves down, asked themselves that question, and listened to what comes into their mind and what is said to them and what is spoken to them. They know. But again, we like to fill up the silence because if I'm talking, then I don't have to listen. What would Jesus say? You know, I wish this year that you would, I think most of you know. And so as we reflect on this particular passage, one of the things that you know is I always like to set up the context. The Bible is a, it's a history. It has a background. And when you learn that background, it causes the scripture to have actually what I find more meaning. It's not so hard to understand what the Bible says if I take the time to learn the history of what was being said. And so we're going to do that looking at this particular text. So let's begin to look. Before we get into this, let's set it up. First of all, the Gospel of Luke was written around 60, 63 AD. It's about 30 years after Jesus had died and resurrected from the dead. Luke wrote this Gospel. The great fire of Rome occurred in 64 AD, and many of you are aware, you don't have to be a follower of Christ to understand that. Most people know about the great fire of Rome. The Christians were blamed for it, and basically a massive persecution broke out against them. Now, what you note is this. It's interesting. It's almost like Luke wrote his book in the form of a prophecy, the timing, that right when he wrote what he did, the following year, the massive persecution broke out. So in some ways, what he wrote is actually prophetic. It was preparing the people for what was coming. Another aspect of this is Luke emphasizes, he was a Gentile himself, he was a doctor. And so Luke emphasizes a lot of things outside the Jewish faith, such as he emphasizes the supernatural. You know, when you're a doctor, you find the supernatural amazing, okay? Look, two chapters on Jesus' birth and the miraculous conception. Why does he take so long? He's a doctor. He finds it fascinating. He talks a lot about healings. He talks a lot about the miracles. Another aspect is he elevates, he shows a lot of ministry by Jesus to the women. You have to, again, contextualize that. Jesus is a single male Jewish individual. He was not to have contact with female figures, and yet in the scripture you see him, the women would come and he would heal them. He had followers who were women. This was, that was radical in his day. Jesus was elevating the status of women. And then another part, you see, Jesus was touching the Gentiles. Well, the Jewish world was saying, no, nah, the Gentiles, no, nah, they're, they're second-class citizens. And Jesus said, I'll even go to the centurion's house. The occupying army, let me go to one of their commander's house. Hey, Jesus said, love your enemies. You know, you can say that, but how many know it helps if you show it? And so he goes to the home and he heals. And then on top of that, he begins to share. He 17 times he mentions the Holy Spirit. And then he writes another book called the Book of Acts. And Luke mentions the Holy Spirit over 51 times. 
So he's highlighting how the Holy Spirit is coming. So these are the major contact or the major uh, subjects that, that Luke is writing about. And so now we come to this particular passage today. And you'll see this, Jesus in this passage, the crowds are starting to come. Why? Because he's doing miracles. They're not necessarily buying the message. But you know, when you're sick and you see people getting healed, how many know suddenly you're all in? And so they're there, and he's, and he's see Jesus doing provisions. You know, when you're broke, how many know you like a guy that can multiply fish? So people are swarming to Jesus, not because they're buying the message, they're buying into the miracles. And Jesus hits the pause button, and he says, let me clarify what continuing in this journey looks like with me. Now, I think there's a lot of relevancy for us today because a lot of people are curious about churches and what churches offer, what they do. That's great. You know, but in the end, we have to understand, if, when you look at the bridge, let me just tell you this, what, what are we trying to do? People say, man, you got an awesome children's ministry. You got a great connections ministry. You got a great youth ministry. You got music. Man, as, as, as our focus, listen, we have one mission, create disciples. And those are all elements of that. But we're here to create disciples. That's the We're not trying to just create believers. Because how many know you can believe but not follow? See, disciples believe and follow. They do. They learn. So we're just not trying to get people to go, oh, yeah, okay, I believe there's a God. Well, that's great. Now we got you to where the devil is. How many know the devil believes in a God? So you're kind of like, we need to move beyond that he exists. What are we trying to do? We're trying to create disciples, not just a person who says, I believe. A disciple says, I believe enough, I'll do it. I'll follow. And Jesus makes this radical parable here. Let's look at it. By the way, what is the cost of following Jesus? I have one point today. Trust me, I can fill the time. We're good, all right? What is the cost of following Jesus? And this is what he says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't he first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. If you know anything about building, how many know it's a, it's a complex process? There's a lot of things that go into making a building happen. Now, I'm going to tell you something here about these parables. Jesus generally drew his parables from something in society that he saw. The parable of the sower, parable of the farmer, all these kinds of things. He would see something and he would borrow it and he would turn it into a parable. Believe it or not, this is actually something Jesus saw. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you go into the history of the Jewish people, there was a historian named Josephus who recorded a lot of the Jewish history. And at this particular time, there's a guy who's in charge of this particular area. His name is Pilate. Does everybody know who Pilate is? Okay, Pilate. He's the guy that eventually would try Jesus, condemn Jesus to death. Pilate decided to build an aqueduct to Jerusalem. Now, sometimes these aqueducts were above ground and sometimes they were below ground. To get the one to Jerusalem, it was literally was boring through rock. It was an underground aqueduct to serve water to Jerusalem. He miscalculated his cost. And so his solution to his lack of funding, he decided to go to the temple. The people would pay a temple tax. 
The temple tax was to pay for all the operations, the cleanup. How many know when you're sacrificing a lot of animals, there's a lot of cleanup? So the tax was to cover all the sacrifice cleanup, was to cover all the maintenance and all the people that served at the temple. And so that's what, and he went to the temple and he raided the money, for the temple tax money, and he raided it and he took it from the church to pay for his aqueduct. There's two things that happened in response to that. A lot of people began to riot and history records the riot sometimes turned deadly. Some people did die from the rioting, but they were extremely upset that the Roman government was now using funds from the temple to pay for their capital projects for the community. The second thing is it became a joke. In, in the Jewish community, it was, yeah, the Romans. They don't know how to add. They don't know how to, they don't know how to do construction costs. They never, come under, they never come under budget. They're always over budget, and they're always asking us to cover things. And it was a joke. People would ridicule the Romans for their projects because they couldn't ever come up with the amount, right amount of money needed. And so that's why I said, this person... Uh, saying, it says they will ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So anybody who says that Jesus didn't mess with politics, that was a direct shot at the Romans for not being able to do their financing right and figure out the cost of things. So beginning to look at this a little deeper, what you recognize if you're going to build a tower it's not just one thing that you need. You need a lot of things to build a tower. So why did Jesus use this illustration? By the way, he used, he loved, Jesus loved construction progress or, or construction illustrations. Remember he said, the man, uh, the foolish man built his house upon the sand and the wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay. Jesus loved these, because what he's, what he's illustrating is that we are in a process of building our lives. Discipleship is a process. It's not a one and done. It's not just, a, there is a commitment, but the commitment leads to follow-up decisions. What are those decisions? So here we go. What is the cost of following Jesus? I can give it one banner, and it's this. Everybody read that. He's going to reorder your life. I'll wait for the amens to die down on that one. He's not asking to be added to the current momentum that you have. He's not asking that he become another thing in your life. He wants to be that thing. He wants to be the center. He says, I'm not attaching me, my, himself to your life so that you, the rest of your life, you know, I can put, put my life on steroids because I got a good momentum. I'll add Jesus and boy, watch where I go. And Jesus said, no, actually, I want to change the momentum of your life. Wow. Okay. We, how many know that requires some pause? Because we all have this question. Well, then what are you going to do with it? Well, if you know everything, then it's not a walk of faith. Huh. So the reordering of one's life, how does he do that? I'm going to give you five things because I'm going to use the tower illustration of what it takes to build a tower. It's the same thing it takes for us to build our lives. Everybody ready? So the number one, the first thing it says what? Okay, that was really pathetic. The first one is what? He was time. He's going to reorder your time. In other words, there's a lot of things in, okay, let's use this as an example. How many know if you don't come to church, it's not because you lack options? 
How many know we got a lot of options? Okay? And a lot of those options, they're not sin. They're not wrong. Okay? But Jesus reorders our time. Why? Because he wants us to do things in a different order. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with these things except I'll do those things later because I want to do this right now. Sometimes when we pull up, sometimes the car is already in the, there's a lot of cars in the parking lot, even before Pastor Lisa and I show up. And I'll say, that's a miracle, man. And she already knows the conversation. I'm just saying it. And, and she goes, yeah, I know. But I said, look at these cars, man. This is a miracle. And the reason I say that is this, because I say, all these people have options. And they said no to all these options. And instead of doing everything else, they're here. That is a miracle. He wants to reorder our time. You say, yeah, I could do that right now, but I choose to put it off because I choose to be here. Has everybody got me on that? So here's a couple examples in the Bible. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Pastor Lisa referred to this last week, but notice the two elements. They were meeting at the temple. They were having the big meeting. Why? Because we all need to see that we're a part of something bigger. But it also says they were meeting house to house. Why that? Because I need somebody to know my name. I need somebody to know something about me. And sometimes the crowd is too big for everybody to know what's going on in my life. So I want a smaller group of people so that I can tell what's going on and they can give me input. So it's not either or, it's both. We can get, be a part of a bigger momentum and yet at the same time, we can be a part of a smaller group where people know my life, my business. And you know what? I know theirs too. Notice this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Notice he's calling out, you need to reorder your time. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. God wants to reorder how you get things done. That involves time. By the way, when you're building a tower, how many know it has a way of cramping your style? Construction work, right, is consuming. So it, it, it means that you, when you would be doing other things, you're committed to building the tower because there's only certain times that tower can be adequately built because of all the resources that need to be brought to bear. And it's the same way in our lives. We say there's nothing wrong with some of that other stuff, but right now I need to be here. All right? Number two, what does it say? Time and what else? Relationships. If you're going to build a tower, it's probably not going to be a solo job. You're going to have to have a network of relationships to work together. You can get a lot more done. And notice what it says in the Bible, Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens one another. So there's a part of my life that I can't get better at until I'm around people. Because God uses people to improve my life. Sometimes I run into somebody and they'll say, I know that you're a big advocate of going to church. I know you're a big advocate of those, those connection groups. But you know, pastor, I just don't feel like I need anybody right now in my life. And <clears throat> I think this, I don't say it to them. Would you like to know what I'm thinking? That explains why you're so dull.
That's dull thinking. That's dull process. You don't, a sharp person who was around people wouldn't make that comment because they understand how other people make their life better. But not being sharp, yeah, that's what you would come to believe. God uses people to sharpen our lives, to make us better. You also read in Romans 12, 5, so in Christ, though many form one body, everybody read the last part, and each, yeah, that doesn't get preached too much. Because we're, we're Americans, I'm independent, I can do what I want. Okay, that's constitution, I'm talking about the Bible. I guess you're going to have to make a decision. Okay? The Bible says we all belong to one another. Oh. See, that makes, I know some of that makes some of you really uncomfortable. I don't mean I'm coming over to your house and calling the shots, okay? And I'm not, I'm not letting you come to my house and call the shots. I don't, I'm, not even, I'm not even remotely promoting that. But it's just understanding that, hey, life is not all about me that I'm a part of something bigger. And you know what? It helps to act that way. You know, when, it, when, it, when, when it parents have more than one child and one child thinks they're more valuable than the other child, how many know you got tension at the table? And as a parent, maybe you get, you know, we had three kids and I can remember the day we're sitting there and one of them finally got the courage. Hey, I'm just curious. Who do you love the most out of the three of us? I mean, it always comes, you know, when you got more than one kid, you know that's coming. You go, well, I love all of you equally. And then, of course, the oldest goes, yeah, but you've loved me the longest. <laughs> you know, there's always, there's always that comeback, right? Always something. But it's, it's, it's understanding, hey, God did not design me to be a solo act. I don't, I don't connect because I've got a preacher breathing down my neck. And he's, and he's intimidating me. I'm connected because I've matured. And I know that that's what I need to do. Everybody with me? It's not a process of you better or else. It's a process of going, you know what? I've grown up and I start to recognize sometimes I need what comes from other people, and sometimes other people need what comes to me. And the only way that's going to happen is if I be, I need relationships. It's like building a tower, right? You can't do all the work. You need relationships. You need relationships with the suppliers. You need relationship with other workers. If you live in, in, in Fauquier, you need relationships with people who give you permits. Now, I say that in jest because some of our people in government come to this church. Now, come on, have a sense of humor, Okay. I'm just, I'm just saying, it's just, you know, you go, look, I, I can't do it all. This is a, it, this, we can do things because we're in relationship with other people. The third element that you see is what? Say it. It's talent. You know, you got to have some people who are talented to know how to build the tower. It helps if you have some talent knowing how to do that, right? And the Bible's the same way. In building our lives the same way. Galatians 5.13, everybody read this out loud. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Let's just pause right there. Isn't that exciting? I mean, this is where people get excited. Jesus came to set me free. I'm free, you know, hallelujah. You know, you know, and we get all excited. And then you go, and what does he want you to do with that freedom? I don't uh, Just be free. I said, no, actually, see, sin 
prevents you from doing what you need to do and what he wants you to do, so he sets you free. Not so you can just be free, he sets you free, so now you have the freedom to go do what he wants you to do. So finish reading this with me. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather... So what are you supposed to do with your freedom? Yeah, 20 of you said it, and the rest of you think if you don't say it, you're not under obligation. If I don't say it. You see, when I'm in bondage, it usually means it's all about me. I'm trying to get out of my jams. I'm trying to get out of my problems. I'm consumed with all the waves of negativity that I've created in my own life. And I'm just swimming and trying to tread life. I'm just trying to not drown because I've made a bunch of bad choices and decisions. And I'm just in over my head. Don't ask me to help. I'm just trying to live to tomorrow. But Jesus sets me free from all that. So now what do I do with my freedom? Some people say, well, now I'm going to go live the life that I've always wanted to live all along, but couldn't. No, 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 no. That's not what it's for. He gave you freedom to serve. See, there's a lot of Christians. I meet them. I don't say this in a condemning, condemning way. I don't sit, sit and have coffee with somebody and pound them with the faith. You were never designed to be happy as a follower of Christ, free and do nothing. You know, you, you, you know, you can be a, you know that you can be saved and unhappy. Some of you are like, I can't answer that. They'll think something's wrong with me. No, I'm serious. You can be saved and be very unhappy. Why? Because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So it creates a spiritual dissonance in you. Because I'm not using the freedom that he gave me for what he wants. And so there's this dissonance. I, w- I was never meant to be free to do my thing. He set me free to do his thing. That's where my joy is. Not in doing my thing. In fact, it was my thing that got me in trouble to begin with. And some of you think, well, yeah, but now I'm just smarter. See, there we are. We're back to being dull again. You're not learning. So here's another scripture that speaks to this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Can you see it's a common theme? Pastor Greg's just not cherry-picking one verse. and build, He's showing you there's a lot of verses. And as faithful uh, stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So the gifts were never designed to make you famous. They were designed to help people and make God famous. See, sometimes I have this happen, and I'm telling you this in a very generic way because I would never talk about somebody's story publicly without prior permission. So this is just a categorical, generalized statement. But sometimes people will just say, I don't understand why you do what you do and why you care so much. And I go, it's real easy because of what he did in my life. It's not payback, it's not earning it off, it's just, if he did in your life what he did in my life, you'd be doing this too. He didn't set me free so I could go do my thing. He set me free so I could do his thing. And this is what I know that he wants me to do, and I'm all in. Because let me tell you, when I was growing up and I was going to high school and college, last thing I ever wanted to do was be a pastor. 
I mean, you know, I just, I was like, that's just not for me. That, you know, I felt, I, I felt bad for people who got called to do that. <laughs> you know, bless their heart. It's not about you, it's about him. Use your giftings to serve others. The fourth thing that you see is what? Resources. This is sometimes a tension in the community of Christians because they go, well, you know, I don't mind, you know, being a follower of Christ. I just, I just don't want him talking about my marriage and talking about my wallet. You know, as long as we, you know, stay out of those two arenas and we're all good. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Just take white out in the Bible and white it out where it makes you uncomfortable? 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. There's the first mention that God actually wants us to budget. I'm not, I'm not to see what I can do. I'm to be specific and intending to do something. Notice what he says. Set it aside, first day of the week. Well, let me see what I got at the end of the week. Is that what it says? Oh, gee, that was like really quiet. Nobody wants to resonate on that one. Does it say, see what you have at the end of the week? It says you're to do it at what part of the week? First part of the week. Wow. So in other words, Jesus, when he's saying weigh the cost, I position my life so that I have resources to do things that I feel that he wants me to do. I don't try to live my maximum life with my, with my resources because then I have nothing else to do what I think God would want me to do with that. Let me, I'll show you another example of this. We're gonna go to into Ephesians. For some reason, this is stuck and I need an assistance to get it. There you go. Ephesians 4, 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. Why? Because they need to stop stealing and being self-sufficient, right? Now look at the rest of the verse. That they may have something to share with those in need. You're not only to stop stealing and get a job so that you can provide for your needs, you're expected to do enough so you can help somebody else. So you don't live your maximum budget. We curtail our lifestyle a little bit so we can give, so we can help, so we can be there for somebody the way somebody was there for us. That's not going to happen because you feel like doing it. That happens because you sat down and said, I know we could lead this kind of lifestyle, but we're going to lead this kind of lifestyle because I want some margin to be able to do some things that I think God wants me to do, and do as a fam maybe as a, couple that, as a couple that we can do. We're not going to live the maximum life. We're going to curtail it a little bit. This is not me coming into your finances. This is not me coming into your house and telling you. This is a conviction that you get from God and going, you know what? I want to position myself so that if I felt like God told me to go help, I could. I don't want to tell God I don't have anything. I want to be in a position that if I had somebody in my life that really could use help, I, I could do it and not worry about, now where my, where's my house payment going? Or where am I going to get mine? No, I, I want to be able to position myself. See, that's again, that's weighing the cost of being a follower of Christ. 
And here's the last one. It's what, what does it say? Disciplines. There's a lot of disciplines that the Bible mentions. I'm gonna high, highlight just a few, but let me set this up. Sometimes you read the Bible and, and Jesus will say if. And then sometimes Jesus says when. Now let's bring it back into our personal life. If you have kids and you say, if you mow the grass, how many know you just provided an exit that it's not gonna happen? <laughs> right? If you, if you decide to mow the grass, I prefer that you, you know, I can tell you it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. But when you say, when you mow the grass, next time I want you to X, Y, Z. How many know you are expecting it to be done? Your child, your son, your daughter, you can't say, well, you know, you didn't exactly know. I said when you do it. There was a presumption that you were going to do this. Okay? So sometimes in Scripture you see that. Sometimes Jesus says if. We need to pay attention when he says when. Matthew 6, 2. So when you give. Jesus just assumes his followers give. He's just, that's, that's just an assumption. In Matthew 6, 5, he says, and when you pray. He doesn't say if, does he? He's just under the assumption you do that. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, I'll let the whoop whoop factor hit everybody right now. When you fast, you know, we're doing a fast starting tomorrow. When you fast, he doesn't say if. If you're up to it, if it fits your schedule, if you feel good about it, what does it say? When. He's just under the assumption you're doing it. Wow. See, part of this in growing in the faith is not somebody making me. Maturity is recognizing that it needs to be done. And whether I'm called specifically to do it or not, I'm going to do it because it's part of growing up into mature. Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. You come home and the trash can has miraculously gone from the curb into the garage without you having to make some plea with one of your kids to bring the trash can to the garage. And you go into the house and you say, who got the trash can and brought it into the garage? And one of your kids goes, I did. And you know, you're just, your radar goes up. Are they angling for something? Are they on good behavior because the, the big ask is coming up? Is there, and you go, well, why? You know, I mean, you hate to ask, but you got, you know, why, 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 why did you do that? Well, didn't you want me to? Oh, no, 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 no. I wanted you to do it. I'm just like, what, is there some? No. You've always told me, you know, if you see the trash can at the curb, it's been emptied. Whoever sees it first, bring it in. So I did. And you don't want nothing, right? No. And you walk away as a parent going, yes, there is a God. And my son, my daughter is maturing. They're doing something because they saw that it needed done. That's maturity. These are all marks of maturity. 
You go, I don't do it because my pastor's pleading with me. He's crying, he's begging, he's, you know, I just do it because that's what disciples and followers of Jesus do. It's part of growing in the faith. I make it a part of my life. I don't have to be tricked. I don't have to be manipulated. I just do it because it's time to grow up. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up the service today. Would you do that? Come on, can you just lift your hands and I want you to praise him for being a God who's investing in you. Come on, if you put intentionality into growing your faith, I can promise you, he has things for you that you never dreamed of. But come on, let's thank him for a second before we wrap up service today. Come on, thank him. I'm going to ask everyone to remain standing with their heads bowed. I'm going to ask them to look around as I wrap up the service today. There might be those, something's happened in your life today and you recognize you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You're ready to make a decision. Yeah, you've done it your own way. But today you realize, hey, I need to ask Jesus in my life. Some of you may have asked that, answered that question. What did last year's activity reveal about your core values and you go, I don't like, I don't like the, the answer I had to give because it wasn't reflective of what I want. And so some of you may need to rededicate your heart to Christ. You know, it's not my intent to do this in a way that embarrasses you or draws unwanted attention or anything like that. So let me explain. In just a second, I'm going to say, if you would like to accept Christ, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. Now, when I see it, I'll say, I see it, and you can just put your hand down. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna do anything weird or anything like that. I'm just going to say in a general way, I see your hand. After a time of people being able to respond to that, I'm just gonna repeat a prayer and ask everybody in, the, in this building today to say it out loud. And most people are gonna say it because they wanna encourage you. But for you, it's your day of being changed. You say, well, I'm ready to accept Christ. I'm ready to rededicate my life. If that's you, would you just hold up your hand? Let me see it, and you can put it right back down. Yes, sir. I see it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Anybody else? Say, today is my day. It's time to make it right. Come on, everybody together, out loud, say the prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you, and I'm taking responsibility for my life. And everything that I need to address, it's nobody else's fault. It's mine. So I ask that you forgive me. And I ask that you come into my life and become my Lord and Savior. Today, I begin my journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Let's give the Lord a clap. Come on, thank you for that today. In just a second, I'm going to dismiss. For those of you who accept Christ, when you leave the building, right by the doors that go outside, you'll see bags that say, follow Jesus. I'm going to ask you to take one of those. Pastor Lisa and I put this together. It's some teaching. It's designed to help your journey because this is, listen, this is not an event. This is a relationship. 
So we put that together to help you. We're going to wrap up our services a little bit different today. Usually we would have the prayer teams come forward, but because it's Connection Group Parade Fair, I'm going to ask right now the Connection Group leaders, if you would just like leave right now and go to your table, because we don't want you being caught in the crowd and then not being at a table when somebody's there. So if you need to get to your table, I'm going to ask you that you just go ahead and step out right now and get there if you would. Hey, again, I commend you for making today a priority. So would everybody lift your hands? I'm going to say the blessing and we're going to go today. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land, all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church, in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.